0: Grab your Bibles if you would. We're going to take a swing and go to the book of Ruth today, and we're going to we're going to start our storytime series in Ruth. I'm going to surrender the Daniel series to the Thursday night Bible study. They've taken it up. So if you if you want to continue, they're getting into the prophetic side of Daniel. Um, And so I challenge you, if you want to grow deeper in your faith, there's Bible studies throughout the week that you can get involved in. That's one of them that you can dive into and on Thursday nights, I believe, and I'm looking for Garrett, he might be out with the offering. Seven o'clock is when it is, Randy, right? All right, seven o'clock right here. Um, they meet in this uh, this room right over here to my left. Um, it would be your right, but we'd love to have you there. Um, also, I know on Wednesdays, we've started a, a, a small group on the signs of the time. How to know the signs that God has put in his word that show us the end of, uh, of this world and the beginning of what Christ is going to do, the new heaven, the new earth, and so... Understand that if you want to get deep rooted, there, there are two deep rooted classes right there you can go plug into. One's on Wednesday at 7, the other is on Thursday at 7. All right, so keep that in mind. Um, let's go to the book of Ruth, chapter number 1. We're going we're gonna to look through this. We're going to grab a couple things out of here. Um, I'm going to speak to what God's been speaking to me about, and, and I know that that might sound cliche because any message should be what God's speaking, but in my personal walk right now, this is this is where I'm trying to grow. All right. So how many of you got an area of your life that you're looking at right now that you're like, okay, God, I want to grow this area of my faith. Anybody got that? Slip your hand up. If not, you need to have that. You need to, you need to be searching saying, God, I really want you to grow this in me, grow this in my heart, grow this in my life. Help me with this. I'm not good at this. I need to be better at this. I don't understand this. Reveal it to me and just allow God to grow you. All right. And so, Let's dive into verse number one, if you would. It says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine, under that, underline that, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. All right, his wife's name, Naomi. If you know the book of Ruth, you know Naomi's name a lot more because Elimelech uh, dies here shortly. He doesn't live long. Neither does his sons. They actually get the first four verses and then no more. Well, one of the things that I, I was looking at, I was reading up on some articles, and, and, and one of the things that I saw recently was the Surgeon General came out and said, released a statement that we're in a crisis of loneliness in our world. That COVID put us into a state to where a lot of people believe that they do not have friends or connections, and they internally believe that they are alone. That's why a few weeks ago, we see people that are suicidal. That's why we have all these emotions. That's why you see uh, a lot of our addictive things that are on the climb and on the rise right now. Uh, drug addictions on the rise in America. So is alcoholism. So is abuse. And as a result, let's be honest, so is suicide. All right. All these things are climbing and they're growing. And it's due to this, this, this plague, if you would, of loneliness, now, I, I want to do a little quick poll real quick. I want you to close your eyes, and if you're on Facebook, you can, you can answer this in your heart. Don't put it in the chat, but close your eyes. Don't look. Give some privacy here. How many of you would be honest and say that at some point of your life, you feel totally alone in certain areas or cer- in certain parts? Would you slip your hand up say, I battle this loneliness. Would you slip your hand up? All right, let's hold it there. All right. Wow. That's a majority. Okay. Thank you for your honesty. Take it down. Take it down because I want to protect you. All right. Open your eyes here. Um, There's more than 75% present. All right. So that doesn't represent online. Yeah. How many of you can walk into a crowd sometimes be surrounded by, let's say 150 people and, and still feel like nobody sees you. Nobody notices you. It's easy to do, right? How many of you get in your head and sit and think that, that nobody cares about what you're going through or nobody sees or understands what's happening in your life. And, and the truth is um, that's a lie. There's probably definitely a lot of people that care deeply about you, but their reality is maybe like yours. They're going through things too. They're battling things too, and sometimes it's hard to get a thought, and sometimes it's hard to have the emotional capacity for somebody else because of what your struggle is in your own life. Sometimes it's hard spiritually to be there for somebody else because of the spiritual wars you're fighting in your own life, and so today we're going to kind of go into this topic of the friend you need to become. Not the friend you need to seek, but the friend you need to become. Because if you become this, you'll find this. A person that has friends must first what? Yeah, they need to be friendly. In other words, it's like this when we say, hey, get out and shake hands. You, you, you got to move, right? You got to get, get out and do those things. Now that you're in two services and it's not a packed out service, every time that you're here, you got a little bit of space in between, a little bit of area to travel, and it's easy to isolate. It's easy to get in a corner or a section and just kind of say, okay, I'm safe here. How many of you feel like you are the most safe when you are by yourself? Anybody like that? How many? Of you, okay, so there's a few in here. Um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to get into isolation, but I'll just give you this statement. Isolation is used in America for two things, for our worst criminals and terrorists. And they put them in isolation, not because they want to make them feel better, but because they want to break them down. And let's be honest, isolation is a form of torture, I was talking to somebody this week and and one of the terrorists that has spent 20 years in American federal prison was released this past week and they interviewed him after spending 18 years in isolation, right? With very minimal contact with others. They interviewed him and they said, if you could do it all over again, would you change things? And he said, if I could do it all over again, I'd do the exact same thing. You know why? Because isolation doesn't make you happy. You don't sit there and say, oh, I'm by myself and nobody's here and nobody cares and get better. You normally get bitter. It gives your mind time to overthink. It gives your your mind time to chase all the rabbits or the trails that Satan's throwing at you, all the things that he's doing to try to get you off track. Uh, Isolation is not a healer. It's a keeler, a killer. Sorry. It's a killer. All right. Sorry. We play this game with the youth and we, we call it murder in the dark and we're like, if you're the keeler, sorry. We're in the South. That works. All right. We'll take it. All right. So understand this. Here it is. He's saying, hey, people are affected by loneliness in America to where we're actually at a breaking point to where there could be a global crisis of crime going through the roof because when you are lonely, you become more focused on you. And when you become more focused on you, you desensitize, which means you lose emotions and you lose feelings towards others. And when you lose emotions and you lose feeling towards others, then you start only doing things that are good for you. Now, let's be honest. If you are a husband and wife and you're only doing things that are good for you, is your marriage going to be strong? No. If you're a mom and a dad and you're only doing things that are good for you, is your, is your children, are they going to be strong? No. If you're a church that is only doing things to build your church, is the church going to be strong? No, the only way that it gets stronger is when we're doing to others as we would have them do to us. We talked about this with our youth. We're we're not thinking of ourselves and arrogant mindsets and not thinking of ourselves above others. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we're putting their interests above our own. In other words, we're driving down the road, not picking our favorite restaurant. We're interested in what the favorite restaurant is with your spouse. And if that's anything like our marriage, you need some type of a game or you'll never eat anywhere, right? Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Well, I don't want to pick. Well, I always pick. So, you know, write four names down, put it in a hat, draw one, and you know you're going to throw that one away because even though you drew it and that's the one you're supposed to go to, you're going to say no to it. So the first one doesn't count. Second one, you have to go to. You got to get some kind of thing. But what we're saying is, hey, when it comes into church, you've got to put somebody else's interest above yourselves. At work, put somebody else's interest above yourself. Every now and then, get your coworkers lunch. Every now and then, like, hey, what can I do for you? You got done a little bit early today. It's not an hour of take it easy. It's an hour of how can I help. It's not an hour of sitting back. It's an hour of stepping up. How can we become the people that we need to become? Well, one thing that I noticed twice in the, in the beginning of this chapter, I'm always looking for what is the a message here, what's an underlining theme here that I've never seen God that I can grow from, and the word famine was it, right? So look at this. Twice you see it. Right, you see where they, there, there's a famine. Uh, anybody know what a famine is? It's a season of without. So let's be honest. If a famine that this one's talking about is talking about food and resource, all right, thing life-giving things. So there's a famine, it's gone. So what do they do? Do they sit there and they cry about what's missing? No. Elimelech actually does what we actually need men of God to do. He actually does what we need women of God to do. He sits there and he realizes that where he is is a drought and refuses to stay in a season of drought and goes to where provision is. And I'm going to tell you this right now, the church is very good at pointing out what we don't have. I can stand here today and talk about loneliness, get every one of you depressed, do an altar call where we pray on your emotions, get you to an altar, and yet you'll leave here feeling the same way. That is not what we need. I think we have some famine-style preaching happening in America, and it needs to stop. We don't need to play on your emotions. We need to build up the emotions that God wants us to have, strengthen them, and support them with God's belief, God's doctrine, so that we're able to go through difficult seasons. I mean, life is not easy. How many of you figured that out? How many of you realize that when you're 18 or 16 and you thought that life was going to get better when you got freedom, you, you, nobody told you about the bills that it came with? And nobody, anyway, maybe they did, but you didn't listen. You didn't care because you couldn't wait to be free. And then 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours of your life now belongs to somebody else. And then you're like, well, I need a break. And then if you're not careful, you start living for the vacation. You know, oh, oh, 50, year, 50 weeks out of a year, you're spending trying to save up enough money to get two weeks out of the year to take a break. When God says, hey, maybe take a Sabbath and, and, and you would be a little bit better, right? How many of you are good about taking a, week, a day a week off of doing nothing but soaking God, enjoying God, experiencing God in, in unique ways? Anybody in here admit with me, I am not the best at that. Who's with me? Yeah. All right. Can I tell you this? This is probably why we're having this epidemic and crisis of loneliness. The truth is this. If it's all work and no play, what ends up happening? Huh? Jack's a dull boy. It, it, it gets what? Jack's a dull boy. Jack is a dull boy. That's right. Is that what you said? Never I've never heard that. Now I have. All right. So yeah, Jack's a dull boy. All right. How many of you would be honest and say, look, you need some renewal in your life? The Bible says he renews his mercy every morning. David said, renew your spirit within me. You know, sometimes I need a renewed focus. Sometimes I need a renewed walk. Sometimes I just need a break. And so do you. But you know what? Satan's really good at saying, if you take a break, you're lazy. And so I've heard people say, well, I feel like I'm being lazy. And I'm like, you are the hardest worker I've ever met in my life. You know, you not coming to this event is probably as big of a win as 100 people actually showing up for the event. You actually taking a breather here is a good thing because if you don't, then eventually you're going to break down. And that is the old Testament in a nutshell. They started forsaking the Sabbath and they went into captivity after captivity, after captivity, after captivity. And you know what God said in Kings, he restored their Sabbaths. And for years, They were in captivity. You know what God was saying? I'm going to take all the control off of you so you have no control of your life so that you actually get to a place where you realize you were never in control in the first place and that you need God's control. And so what would happen to the children of Israel? They'd get in bondage and they'd immediately start praying that God would break through and do something in their lives so that they could get free from the slavery or flee from the oppression. And then God would do it and they would forsake the Sabbath again and wind up in the same thing. Now, I'm going to tell you, we do that. I mean, we go to church and we get something. Hopefully, you're going to get something today that you can take home and apply to your life. Hopefully, you're going to get something today that you can go do something with. But if you're not careful, by Monday, you'll totally forget what God gave you today because you don't take a part of today and rest it with God. All right. Does that make sense? Now, let's look at this. Famine is that season without one thing Eliminate did is he did not get stuck. He, he, He made sure that, okay, if this is messing me up, I'm going to move to a different place. All right, here's the question. Write it in your notes. I want you to answer it in your own life later. Where are you stuck in life right now? We're in your mindset. We're in your spiritual walk. We're in your life, your relationship. Are you stuck? Where has it become routine and monotonous and there's no excitement, no joy? What thought are you so focused on, but yet you're never getting solution? And you know what that couldn't show in your life? That there's a season of famine in that area of your life and you need to do what Elimelech did with his wife and sons. You need to move to a place of provision. Now that's not saying you need to go up and move to Kansas. There's tornadoes there. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is you need to get in God's word and not just get in it to say, I'm going to read my proverb for today, which is not a bad habit, but to get in it and say, I'm going to seek some meat from God on the area of my life where I am the weakest. If I am plagued by fear, let's go to the 365 things that God says when he tells them, do not be afraid. 365 times in the Bible. If I'm plagued with anxiety, let's go to the garden of Gethsemane. Let's go to the cross. What did Christ do? His blood came out of his blood vessels and ruptured into his sweat as he was stressed and anxious over what he was about to do. But did he stay in the garden? No, he got up. Did he stay on the cross? No, he surrendered his spirit. Did he stay in the grave? No, God raised him from the dead. The thing is, is when life gets hard and famine hits, be determined to give up your rights to get up from where you are and trust God's spirit to revive in you what you are lacking or missing in your area of life right now. Maybe some of you need to stop and just examine. Where is it that you need God to move the most? And know this, here's the solution, ready? God is already on the move. Are you moving with him? God is already doing something. Are you open to him? God's spirit is at work in your life. How often? Somebody tell me. Always. Continually. We were talking about this in our elders meeting um, just this past week. How, how a lot of people get gets stuck and sometimes they'll think, you know, I've got this one spiritual gift. And it's like the spirit is not limited to one thing. The Spirit is going to equip you. Yes. How many of you realize that you're probably better at something than others? How many of you are really good at working with kids? Raise your hand. Let's see you. All right. We're going to sign you up for children's ministry after service. All the hands went down. All right. All of them. I'm really good. No, I'm not. I'm totally lying. All right. How many of you really, you're good with kids. Slip your hand up. All right. There you go. All right. How many of you say no? No, do not put me in the kids ministry. I know Garrett's one of those, right? Like, no. Does that mean they're bad people? Most of these people are parents. Does that make them bad? No, it just means like, how many of you do this? You ever get in a situation, you start talking, and it's just like, wow, this is natural. You get with somebody, and you can you can just chit chat. And we got a guy that attends second service that used to professional MMA fight, you know. And so um, I I, we were playing ball. We were playing ball on uh, Wednesday. And he just, he picked up a loose ball and shot it and made it. So I went up, I was like, basketball player, I got something con- uh, common with him. I'm going to have a conversation. This is my end. So I get up to him. I'm like, so did you play ball? And he was like, nope, I MMA fight. And I was like, oh, I got nothing. You know, like, a, <laughs> I got nothing. Like, a, I don't know where to go from here. And I was like, well, that's cool. You know, like I got, it just, there's not a commonality, but we found it. And then you grow from there. But if you were in a certain situation, you would thrive. But in other situations, you would implode. How many of you like to speak publicly? All right, that's a very rare crowd. All right, there we go. Gigi says this. No, Gigi likes to speak publicly. All right, yeah, yeah, go all in, Gigi. Don't do that. All right, how many of you, go again. How many of you, if I said, come on up here, you would be like, all right, give me a microphone. Let's go. All right, okay. How many of you would leave the church? That would be it. Like, I've been praying, God, give me a sign, and that was it. You're like, you stick me in front of people, I am out the door. No, I'm just kidding. How many of you would say you get up here and you're going to, like, faint, pass out, sweat, no words are going to come? If they do come out, it's going to be, you know, mumbled and jumbled and probably in tongues, and we'd need an interpreter, right? Like, how many of you would be honest and say, that's just not me? Slip your hand up in the air? Okay. So, can I tell you this? The Holy Spirit, at times, will take you out of your comfort zone. And there's going to be a moment that you that just rose your hand are going to be in a crowd and all of a sudden you're going to be hearing things and you're going to be like, oh no, that's not you. You know, God, that's not what you said. And not that you're judging what's being said, but you just hear the negativity falling on the, the noise. It's like a, a group of men. If a group of men get together, and I'm not saying I've been a part of this, but, or, or heard this here because we would stop it, but if a group of men got together and they all started talking bad about their wives, would that be a place that the Holy Spirit in you would be comfortable no. And you know what the Holy Spirit's not going to tell you to do? Walk away. You know what the Holy Spirit's going to tell you to do? To sow a seed of love. And in love in that moment, maybe you say, "Hey, you know what? If we if we talk this way about our wives, we're going to go home with this attitude, but the Bible says that we are to love her like Christ loved the church. And gave himself for her so that she's presented without spot or blemish. And so guys, let's pray together right now that God would tenderize our hearts towards our wives. That we would release the record of wrongs against them. And that we would see them as sanctified, meaning bought and redeemed by Jesus, washed in his blood and clean. Let's, let's pray that God goes home and, and makes it as if we're going on our honeymoon. Let's get together. Come on, guys. Let's go. You know what? That needs to be, that needs to happen. But you know what happens? The Bible says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. You'll be in that moment. I'm not a speaker. I'm not a speaker. This isn't right. And if you're not careful, you'll resist the Spirit. And, and people will go home and you never, know what, you never know what spirals from there. I told our teenagers, like, and this might be harsh words, but your mistreatment of an employee at a fast food establishment, your mistreatment of an employee in a business setting, in a school setting, could be what causes that abusive employee to go home and beat their husband or wife or children that day. You're like, well, that's not my fault. No, 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 here it is. You're an ambassador for God and you're supposed to usher the spirit into where you are. Are you, are you with me? And you're like, well, I can't be blamed. No, I'm not passing the blame, but I am simply saying this, the the Holy Spirit in you should cause a stir in whatever spirit is in them or coming after them when you're present. And in those moments, God can give you some discernment where you start understanding things and seeing a picture that you have no clue about. Or God can give you some words to speak, some prophecy to speak. And you, you might sit there and say, well, am I a prophet? No, can I say this? Stop trying to declare what you are and believe in what the Holy Spirit is. And let him have freedom in your life. If you understand that, say Yes. And in here, understand that in the seasons that we walk through, it's not a script of this is exactly what God looks like. Jesus, when he spoke with farmers, talked about seeds. When he spoke with rich people, talked about investments. When he talked to investors, he talked about finances. He, he, he talked to doctors about Uh, Healthcare, you know, this is what we should be. He talked to his disciples about ministry, Jesus. And I love this. I heard this at a conference, Pastor Chris and I went to, he knew the culture he was speaking to and spoke to the culture. You know, he didn't go in and he, he didn't get a bunch of poor people together and start talking about, hey, there was this guy that had all these investments. You know why? Because the poor people get bitter immediately as to why did they have investments and I don't. But, you know, a lot of people that were it, 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 struggling and poor were literally living off the ground. So what does he talk about? The power of a seed and what the seed can be. And then he starts talking about soil densities. You know, this one has rocks and this one has thorns and this one was solid. Hey, you know, but this one was pure. Like this is it. And you know what he's saying? Hey, what condition is your heart in to receive the word of God today? Man, wasn't, that a, wasn't he beautiful at how he could speak? It's kind of like this. If I went to our children's church today and led the children's church sermon today, and I talked about the Greek and Hebrew meaning of, of these, this passage, do you think your kids are going to come out saying this was the best day ever? Or do you think they're, they're going to come out like comatose, like, like done? Yeah, I, I, I went into one of our Bible schools uh, one year, and, and you you got to understand, some of these classes sometimes, by the way, if you've already signed up, there's, that's a commitment in the state of Tennessee. That's a legal binding contract. Um, but, but you go into this room and sometimes there's like 18 people in this room and, and this one uh, lady had, um, I think it was 22 kids under the age of three. Yeah. yeah did y'all hear that? Like, just, oh. and I walked in and her eyes were this big and she's like, what do I do? It's Like, let's just sit down. Let's do this. What story are you trying to tell? We're supposed to be David and Goliath today, but I can't get them to listen. All right, it's not about getting them to listen as much as it's about getting them involved. Let's play. So we sit down and we, we start saying, okay, everybody get your slings out. Let's go. You know, and the next thing you know, we got 23 kids in that tiny room just slinging it around. And like, what do you think Goliath sounded like when he fell? Oh, it was this, that, and the other. What do, what do you think? You know, somebody show me. What, what, how big do you think he was? And you build the story through where they are right and it, it, if you got legos you're you're building the walls of jericho and you're knocking them down i mean you know it, it's, and it's really therapeutic it's like a smash room but you're you're like just go in and but but you don't you don't go above where they are. And, and and here's the thing: if you're battling the loneliness today, if you're in a famine season today, I, I I love this. God has sent his spirit to minister to where you are. Elijah runs away from Jezebel, scared to death. After he has seen God do a, a fire rain from heaven and consume an altar sacrifice, after he spent a day on top of a mountain watching the prophets of Baal plead with their God and nothing happened, but then utter just a small prayer and literal fire come down. Down and consume not just the sacrifice, but the altar, not just the altar, but the water that they soaked the sacrifice in. He knew who God was. And all of a sudden, a woman says, I'm going to have his head. And he takes off running for three, three days, outruns chariots. He's out of there. And what ends up happening to him? Anybody know? He goes to sleep. And what happens while he's in this hiding season, sleeping? An angel comes, feeds him, he goes to sleep, feeds him, goes to sleep. And then eventually says, you need to get this food because you're, you're about to go on a journey. And then eventually wakes him up and says, it's time to go. I'm going to tell you, you may be in a famine season today. And this may be the only message God has for you in this whole sermon today is maybe it's time for you to get the nourishment of God, because I promise you the time for you to move is coming when God is going to do a work through your life. You are not at the end, it is not over. God has a plan and a purpose. He wants to feed you today with what you need so that you can accomplish tomorrow what God has for you. Today, give me my daily bread because tomorrow maybe we fight giants. Tomorrow, walls may fall. But today, we're gonna rest in God so tomorrow we can go to war. And understand this, if you're in a famine season and all you are is focusing on what you don't have, you will not survive this. But in that moment, you can say, who can help me here? What can help me here? And Elimelech got up and he moved his family. Now, Elimelech dies. He has two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they die. They leave behind two wives, and that's where the story picks up. With Naomi and Ruth and, 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 and uh, the, the, the third, and, and, and Orpah, and, and, and they're on a journey back. And here's what happens. Then Naomi heard in Moab, that's where they went that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So what she do? So Naomi and her daughters-in-law get ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. You see God do this so many times where it's like, hey, there's nothing for you here. You're dying here. Let me get you rejuvenated. Okay, now it's time to go back. And I'll, I'll say this. We say it all the time. I want you to get it again. If you have been in a pit of despair, God promises to pick you up and establish you. But when God picks you up and establishes you, I promise you at some point God will call you back to the pit because there's someone else that needs to experience what you experience from God. There's someone else that needs to hear the testimony. There's somebody else that needs to hear the story. You may be away from home, but God is going back. You're coming back. You may need a break from your calling, but God's going to bring you back. Get to the resource and get back. Go to the well, get a drink, get back. Go to the table, get a bite, get back. Hey, it's like this. You get a lunch break, but it's not a lunch day. The break is to say, go get some nourishment so you can finish the job that you need to do today. And I'm telling you right now, I think we got too many uh, Christians sitting on the sideline blaming the famine when the truth is, is if you got a famine in the season of life, God's got a provision somewhere that he's calling you to. And he's asking you to step out and he's asking you to trust him and he's asking you to believe him. Don't get stuck where you are. Seek help. Help may come and, and, and it always comes through God's word. Let's put that down. But it may come through like a therapist, a counselor, a friend. It may come through a small group. It may come through a church. It may come through just a relationship or a talk. It may come through a vacation. But at some point, you're going to have to leave the place of famine, get help. Because guess what? You got work to do. God's sending you back. So that's where we pick up in this story. She goes back and, and um, just a little bit of history here. You don't live in this culture It doesn't make sense to our culture. So a lot of times we try to attack this culture because in America, we think the whole world should be like us. And if you've ever been outside of America, it's not. The cultures are totally different. When I was talking to Sophia and Omika about staying, they didn't want to stay. You know why they didn't want to stay? Two reasons. They missed their family and they missed their culture. All right. They want to go back. And, and, and I can sit here all day long, and I told, I told Sophia specifically, don't take America back to your country. Take what God taught you here back, but don't go try to Americanize your friends. Go back and meet them where they are with what God gave you where you are. Does that make sense? I think so many times when we get on the stage or we would get on the other side, of whatever it is we fell apart or whatever hurt or whatever hardship we've gone through, we forget what we went through and what we did and what we experienced when we're trying to minister to somebody else. And I'm going to say this, humble yourself for God will humble you. All right. Best way to stay humble. Ready? Don't forget just how much grace and mercy God's given you. And how many of you in here say, I have taken a lot of God's grace and mercy. All right. Give it, give it a lot. And when you think you can, I had a conversation with Wade, I think just yesterday, driving on the road, and I was like, you know, I just keep reminding myself when I want to be mean and ugly to these people that, man, God's given me enough grace and mercy that I have no right to ever be ugly to anybody. All right? And I know some of your stories. You were pretty bad. I mean, you got no reason and right to stand and judge and say, oh, you know what? Like, I'm better than you. No, you're not. You just got grace and mercy, and they just need it. So why don't you just be a messenger of God? God has sent you home to rescue somebody else. Don't make it about you you all right, y'all got it? Say got it. got it. Let's get a little history. Back in biblical times when you're seeing this passage and what makes this passage so heartbreaking is the, the wives were totally dependent on the provision of the man. All right, it wasn't a culture where women went to work. It wasn't a culture where that was accepted. Now get your mindset in this, that if your husband died, it was now your husband's family's place to take care of you. That's why a brother would marry you. Because absent the husband in your life, you have no provisions in your life. And so not only did Naomi's husband die, now that falls to the son. But both of her sons die, And now there's no one. She's alone. She's broke. She has no hope. And not only does she have no hope, Orpah and Ruth are now in the same boat. So look at this. That's what picks up here, in verse number seven. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out for the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. By the way, there's no better road than I, I, I say this. There's the Lion of Judah. Anybody ever heard that? Lion of Judah. What's that saying? Jesus was of the lineage and bloodline. Bethlehem was in Judah. You see all these things come together. So I I like the statement here. It's just a little freebie. I I love it. There's no place like the road that'll take you back to Judah. There is no place in your life that you need more than the road that'll take you home. If you've wandered from God, then in his grace and through his spirit, let's be like that prodigal son heading back to God. Let's get on the road that'll get us right. Don't keep living in alternate bad lifestyles. You can go home. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a good word? Even if you're backsliding today, you can go home. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. You know what she's saying? Go back to mom and dad so that you have provision. Go back so you have hope. The Bible says in verse number nine, may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. She kissed them goodbye and they broke down and wept. You understand what security of another marriage means. Somebody to come in and feed and take care of you. Somebody to pay your bills. Somebody to give you a life, take care of your kids. Verse 10, no, they said, we want to go to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who can grow up and become your husband's? She's so like, hey, I have no way of providing sons. I have no way of providing heritage. I have no way of providing you anything. No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord has raised this fence against me. You know what that is? Naomi's saying, I'm alone. I got nothing. And I believe we have a lot of the world in that mindset to where they think that God is against them because of what they're going through. Look around the room. You're not the only one paying high gas prices right now, you're not the only one struggling. Electricity's higher for everybody. And you're sitting there and you're saying, well, why is God doing this to me? Recession isn't about one person. It's about an entire nation group. And unfortunately, we're not just in a national recession. We're in a global recession. And everybody's going to be affected. And everybody's going to have hurts and pains. But Satan's going to have a way of making it to where you feel like you're the only one. And the truth is, you're not even the only one in pain in this room today. You're not even the only one in hardship. But in loneliness, we say, get away. Get away. I'm hopeless, and even God doesn't love me. And I believe in our society, and I don't even have to say it, the attorney general has said it, the surgeon general has said it. There is a loneliness cry going out, there is a brokenness cry echoing through society. Now, I could sit here and preach on that, but I think we need to preach on the solution that society needs believers to rise. Needs people to step up and be living proof that God is still present, even in recession times. That God still loves, God still notices. We need an Acts chapter two type of church that raises to where we go through our homes and the things that we don't need, we start giving to people that do need. And the things that we have that we can get rid of, maybe we sell to help people pay a bill, get through something in their life. It's so anti-culture for us to talk like that, but it should be the natural habit of who we are. Anybody in here say there's an area of your life that you're extremely blessed? Raise your hand. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe your closet. How thick and full is your closet right now, right? How many of you can say there's an area? Maybe your cabinets have a lot of canned goods. Maybe you have a lot in your refrigerator. Maybe you do have money in the bank. Maybe you do have a car that actually works and drives and actually has gas in it and a job that actually is paying the bills. How many of you can say in some area of my life right now, extremely blessed? Raise your hand. I look around the room. I want everybody to see that. Wow, by the way, that means there's areas of our lives that there should be praise. But how many of you would say there's areas of my life that feel like famine right now? There's a real struggle and there's a real drought. Slip up your hand. All right, I've got, you could raise both. Anybody say that? That could be emotional, mental, physical. It, it, It could be with things. And so we look at this and we realize that the world that we live in, there's plenty and there's without. Naomi says, I can't give you anything. Like to stay with me is going to be bitter because it is more bitter for me than it is for other people. Can I tell you this right now? Please, 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 please. Don't ever minimize your pain and say somebody else has it worse. That's not healing. Right? And I hear people say that all the time. I know somebody has it better. Pain is pain is pain. And if you're hurting, you're hurting. And if you have hurts and you have wounds, they need to be dealt with. Don't minimize them and push them to the side trying to help somebody else with their pain when you got pain yourself. If the plane loses oxygen and the masks fall, what are you supposed to do? Come on now, talk to me. You put yours on first before you help your children. Why? Y'all are a bunch of mumblers. Why? Huh? Say it again. Yeah, if you run out of oxygen and pass out, are you any help to anybody? And so what do they say? Put it on. I'm going to tell you this right now. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. So in those last days, those evil times, we're able to stand. I'm going to tell you this right now. In Job chapter number 6, Holman Christian Standard Bible, the Bible says that a friend should have the loyalty of his friends even if he forsakes the Almighty. You know what he's saying? At times in your life, you are going to get depleted. At times of your life, you are going to get to a place where your faith isn't where you want it to be. And Satan will say, you're worthless. You need the people in your life that'll say, you know what? I can believe for you. I can pray for you. You can't pray right now. Don't worry. There's a spirit praying on your behalf, and there's another believer going to pray on your behalf. But neither one of us can outpray Jesus. He's praying too. Isn't that a cool thought? Like, I got you. It's not, oh my goodness, did you hear the words that came out of Derek's mouth? And no bad words have come out of his mouth. but, But if they do, it's, hey man, it's okay. I, 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 well, the Bible says, yeah. Well, how much in the Bible has it said for you to do that you don't do? And the, how, how many times do you forget that when somebody else does the one thing? I, 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 I know this to be true. The church loves to jump on the people that has the one sin that doesn't match their sin. But if it matches their sin, they want grace. You know, like, oh, let's give him grace. Let's give him mercy. But if they've never done it, they want condemnation. No, 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 no. What it's simply saying is, okay, you know what, Andre, I got you back, man. I know this is hard. You're mad. You need to cry. You need to scream. I can can handle that. God can handle that. You had a bad day. We're going to be here. Naomi says, hey, my path is more bitter than anybody else's. I'm going to say this, and I don't mean this to belittle. No, yours is not. Yours is bitter and yours is hard. It's different from everybody else's and you are different from everybody else's. But the reason the person might have been short with you today at the restaurant later or this morning or, or the, pe- the reason by the person that normally shakes your hand might not have today is because they have struggles too. And if we could see the world as if it's not me and I'm the only one, then maybe we could see the world as a place where there's still hope. And we can stop trying to base our faith on how we're treated by others, but instead base our faith by how God meets with us where we are. Naomi says, get away. Orpah says, see ya. She hugs her. She doesn't want to go. Takes two times and she's out. But Ruth says this. Verse 14, they wept again together. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Would you circle that? Look, Naomi, she said, your sister in law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Naomi's telling Ruth, get out. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And I like this verse. So the two of them continued their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Look at this pain. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer, and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite. They arrived in Bethlehem. They had returned from in the late spring, and at the beginning, of the barley harvest i like this i'm i'm going to hit you real quick and then I'm going to give you really quick points we're out they arrive when the harvest is about to come i'm going to tell you this right now most people quit the journey before they get to the place of provision most people quit the study most people give up the bad habit most people give up i'll I'll, I'll tell you right now the most faithful a lot of people are ever to church is when their life is completely in ruins when the church is there helping with light bills, helping with food, helping with those things, they are loyal. But the moment they get back up on their feet, they most time disappear. I, I, I've actually even coined a phrase, and I don't mean it to be hard, but I mean it to be a reality. The people you help the most will more than likely hurt you the most. How many of you found that to be true in your life? Because what happens is when we get to the harvest, we forget the persons that God used to bring us there. When we get to the good seasons of life, we forget the people in the journey. We forget that we needed God. But when Naomi was at her worst and she was down, Ruth stepped in and said, I'm not leaving. So she proves to us very quickly the friend that we need to become. Number one, write it down. A friend willing to make a sacrifice. Verse 11 through 13. Look at this real quick. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to sons, husbands? No, daughters, return to your parents' home, for I'm too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and even if I were uh, to get married tonight, then what? Would you wait for us then to grow up and not marry someone else? No, of course not. Things are far too bitter for me, uh, because the Lord has raised his fist against me. I mean, it's, it's literally a lady looking at Ruth and saying, if you go with me, depression is where we're going. And you know what Ruth says? that matters to me. The way you feel matters to me. Where you are matters to me. The one thing we lack in our society, and it's due to a lot of times uh, busyness, is we lack, and Andre's been preaching on this to our youth and it's been really resonating in my mind, we lack empathy to where we look at each other and say, my heart breaks for you. Somebody goes through something and we say we pray, but if we don't pray on the spot, we know we're not going to at all. And yes, yes, you've got your own things. And yes, you're going through this. But a true friend says, you know what? I'm going to go a little bit further for you. I'm going to care a little bit deeper for you. I'm going to go into your ugly. I'm going to be around for the snotty conversations where the the, the areas of your eyes and nose are just pouring out. I'm going to listen to the mouth but I'm not going to let your current reality become the hope of true reality in Christ. I'm going to stick this out with you because I know I like it. We're going on a journey together. Verse number 19. One of the greatest things that ever happened to me in my life was the men of God that stepped beside me and did not leave when everybody else was leaving. So when I was at my lowest point, they weren't looking down. They were were trying to build up. Uh, Howard, Chris, Garrett, um, Wade. These men, they really stood in in some very dark times. Dennis. um, And and, you know, in my heart, it really, I was thinking about this as I was reading this. There's going to be times of your life that you just don't know how to feel, and thank God for the people that are going to come in and love you through your emotional roller coaster. There's going to be times in your life that you mess up. Thank God for the people that don't judge you based on what you are capable of, but judge you based on what God is capable of doing in you. Thank God for a Galatians 6 type people, that if somebody falls, then you who are mature should do what? Pick them up. In Corinthians, Paul said, deal with this guy who's having relations with his stepmother. And then in the very next passage, he says, restore this guy because if you don't, he's going to be overcome by sorrow. I'm going to tell you this right now. You are not a church at all. You are not a church of the living son of G- of God, Jesus Christ. If you cannot care about the brokenhearted and the broken down, we need to be an understanding that church is a hospital. It is not a resort. And at some point, there's going to be broken. And at some point, there's going to be ugly. And at some point there's going to be nasty. But if you're going to be a called person of God, whatever you'll do to the least of these is exactly what you would do to Jesus Christ. And if you do it to the least of them, it's as if you are doing it to him. And we need a a belief system that says, I'm going to be a friend that says, yes, my life may be easier without you, but there would be a void in my life if you were not there. And so no matter where you are and who you are in Jesus name, we're going on this journey together. With no other expectation than this. I am not leaving you alone. That takes sacrifice. You got to give up some time, don't you? You got to give up some resource sometimes. I mean, how many of you sacrifice for your children? I mean, you, you, you give up for the... I mean, some of the greatest sacrifices we have to make are giving up that last warm chocolate chip cookie, right? Like, I mean, we, we, we sacrifice... Yeah, you, you know, we, we, we got toddlers right now. We we Kanan's going to the bathroom and, and becoming a super big girl and and um you know, she can't make it through a night without that. I need to pee. Right? Very begrudgingly, sometimes it's like, oh, I'll just with the bed, we'll clean the sheets tomorrow. You know, like you gotta get out of bed. You gotta go in there. And 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 you know what? There's truth be told. When she's walking down an aisle graduating, when she's walking down an aisle to get married, those are the moments. Yesterday, she put on a a dance recital that lasted 15 minutes. You know, and it was so long. And there was no music. It was just dancing to nothing. Except the song of her heart. And I thought to myself, this will be something when 30 years passes that replays in this mind. I'm going to tell you this right now. If we're ever going to reach a lost and dying world. We got to be willing to sacrifice a little bit of our comfort to get it done. I'm thankful the son of God did sacrifice his comfort. And took on my discomfort. So that I could take on his comfort. He became sin who knew no sin. So that we could become. The righteousness of God. Does that not blow your mind? That's why there's, there's people sometimes that you're going to come in contact with that you're going to have to be nice to that you don't want to be nice to. That you're going to have to give to that you don't want to give to, but a friend loves at all times. Anybody thankful today that we got a friend that's six closer than a brother? Isn't that a good word? Thank you, God. Number two, loyalty. Loyalty says I'm going to stay for the good, bad, and the ugly. I like this. Where you go, I go. I will not turn my back on you. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I die. Verse 16:17. Should become the anthem of our marriages, should become the anthem of our parenting, should become the anthem of our friendships, should become the anthem of our small group, should become the anthem of our church. You want to run from God, just know we're going to chase you. You ain't going to go alone. You're going you're to walk away and just know I'm there. Okay, so life is bad and God's got his hand up against you. Okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm here too. And if God's going to raise his hand against you, he's going to raise his hand against me. Truth is, I don't believe he's going to raise his hand against me, but I'm just going to stand here with you until you can believe like I believe. And I'm going to love like he will love you so that you can have hope, so that you do keep going. Number three, determination. I like it. Verse number 18, I circle this, we'll be done. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined, She said nothing. She argued with him twice about no go home. But when she saw this was a true relationship, she said nothing. And guess what? The journey to provision starts. I'm going to tell you right now. The Bible says this. And and, and first, I married somebody on the side of the road yesterday, literally on Foothills Parkway. It was beautiful, but literally on the side of the road. Um, I had a showing. After I got done with the showing, I ran up there, married, then went back to a showing. It was the weirdest day of my life. I changed clothes three times. You should see my truck right now. It looks like a closet. We're standing there, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at this beautiful scenery that God recreated from a flood. And We always say this. When you think broken is broke down, the, the world was completely flooded with water, and now we stand on mountains saying, look at what God created. No, look at what God recreated through a tragedy. And I, I, when you, your breath is taken by his recreation, know this, he can recreate you too. And no matter what tragedy and struggle you're going through, he can bring you up. This isn't the end, it isn't over. God can create landscapes that take our breath. He can create a life that takes the breath of the world. He can take a saw and make them into a paw like that. And the next thing you know, what should be destroyed becomes a life giver. Your life is not over. But determination says, you know what? Um, 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things. You know, get this. Bears means I can help you carry this. We got this. Believes all things means I see the best in you even when you don't see it. I believe in you. Hopes means I don't only believe in you, I believe in what God's gonna do. There's hope for a better day. And here's the last one, ready? Endures. Endures isn't an easy word. Determination is what brings endurance. It's a spiritual endurance that says, no matter how hard this gets, I'm all in. And no matter how long this takes, I'm I'm here for the journey. No matter what it takes, that's that's my sacrifice. You know what my loyalty says, uh, no matter what we're going through, but literally determination says, come hell high water, I'm in this with you. And I'm going to tell you this right now. You may not have the friend you want, but can you become a friend that people need? And I'm telling you now, if that is going to be you, you need to be willing to sacrifice some things. You need to be determined to finish some things out. You need to be loyal because I'll tell you this right now. The loyalty of God is what gives us hope no matter where we are. The loyalty of God should be made public through the loyalty of God's people to each other. And by the end of it, guess what? They arrive at the beginning of a harvest. My thing is this, and I'm I'm going to say it very clearly. You may be day one of your drug addiction. You may be year 20. We want to take you by the hand and we want to go on a journey because we believe that that journey is going to lead you to the freedom of God in your life. You may be at the edge of divorce, ready to give up. You you may be at the edge of cheating. You may be at the edge of making the decision. You may have cheated so much that you don't think there's a return. We want to take you by the hand and go on a journey because we believe that God's going to bring you to a field, a provision. It's here, it's there, it's coming. I don't know about you, sometimes you just need the loyalty of a friend to help you believe when it's hard to believe. How many of you can raise a hand in testimony and say, and you've had that. Somebody step in when everybody else was running away. Somebody believe when nobody else was believing. How many of you have had that? Raise your hand. Isn't that a good thing? All right, close your eyes and maybe pray this. Ready? God, help me become that. There's a lost and dying world that needs Jesus. But how can they believe in a Jesus they cannot see unless Jesus becomes evident in me? How can they experience his love without a vessel of which it pours through? Is there anybody in the place today that maybe you have somebody in your life that's a little bit difficult. My hand goes up, my foot goes up, my other foot would go up or I'd fall. I mean, I'd raise every body limb I have. They're there. And in your mind, you want to get away. Let anybody here say, okay, God, make me a Ruth to that Naomi. Help me believe in you enough to believe in the possibilities of you and them. And maybe today becomes the day that you say, God, help me to become a friend that is evidence of the presence of you in this person's life. Is there anybody like that? Slip a hand up. And so that prayer to help me become a friend that becomes evidence of you in this person's life. Amen. Grab somebody's hand. Stand with me. Let's close in a word of prayer. Hey, we love you. I hope you know that like we, we've got we're, one of the things Libby and I have been in discussion about and we're praying towards is, is a whole department of people that you're not counselors, you're not certified, you don't maybe not have a degree in it, but you do have an experience in something. And, and maybe you can take what God has taught you. We don't need what you learned. We need what God has showed you. And you can become available to other people to say, hey, you know, you're going through this. Let me help you. You know, um, and I'm not saying I agree with everything the guy teaches, but Dave Ramsey went through bankruptcy twice. He's pretty good at telling you how to get back together because he's been to the pit, out of the pit, back to the pit, out of the pit, and standing, right? Right now, he's going through a $150 million lawsuit. All right? Like, listen, understand this. Like, sometimes you go through the fire, and it's a lot easier to turn around and say, hey, I went through that. Come on. We're praying that God would raise you up to be that. Some of you were the child that was totally neglected. Some of you had behavioral issues as children. Maybe you still do as an adult, but let's not talk about that. That's another day, right? Uh, maybe you could become the caregiver, the helpmate to the, the child that comes to church that struggles with those behavioral issues, and you're like, oh, man, that's so difficult, but who knows better how to stand through that difficulty than somebody that lived through it? Maybe you were the abused spouse and uh, on the other side of the room somebody that needs to talk. If we just made ourselves available, then that would open up. We need, we need people. If we are truly in, and I believe we are, a crisis of loneliness, we need people to step up and say, no, nah, I'm present. I'm here. The most powerful thing you can bring in somebody else's life is your presence. To be available in their time of difficulty. You say, well, no, the presence of God. Well, uh, uh, dummy, listen to me, all right? Without your body being there, it's hard for you to prove the presence of God. I mean, if God wants to hug Derek today, then somebody of God needs to walk up and just say, I love you, right? If God wants to do a work in Daniel's life, sometimes it needs the people of God huddling around saying, we, we're believing for you. We're in this with you. But on the other side of Daniel is a Sioux who's scared, who's going through the the spousal things of how do I be, she's not told me this, but how do I be weak when I'm trying to be strong for him? Well, the way you're able to be strong for him is when you have somebody you can fall on, on the other side. And it's not going to be the most appropriate thing for Sue and I to spend hours together and on the phone. But some of you ladies have been through this. You can throw an arm around and say, we're here. Hey, a bucket of chicken goes a long way after a long day at the hospital. It's easy. We're in the most connectability world we've ever lived in. And in a loneliness crisis. Why? Because we have forgotten the power of God's presence in our lives and through our lives. And it's time for us to wake up and say, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be available. Let your mind be where your body is. Let your body be where God has placed it and be a minister right there and watch God do something through it. I pray that this resonates in your heart because I know there's a lot of people, 75% of this congregation this morning raised their hand saying, I feel lonely. You shouldn't have to leave that way. You shouldn't have to go through the rest of the week this way. There's a God that loves you and I love you, but guess what? I'm one man, and you are many. But we are something strong together. Care about somebody, and if the Holy Spirit's leading you to somebody today, don't leave without making the approach. Don't try to figure out what you need to say. Just get to them. And let God do the rest. Let's raise a generation of friendliness keeps our Naomi's going because I believe it a harvest is coming anybody else kind of have that feeling if you don't let me, let me put it this way Jesus is coming he's coming so my friends hang on one more week breathe one more. I told one of our teenagers this week and I know I'm going overtime now I'm sorry but she came up to me and I'm not going to tell her whole story but She's attempted suicide multiple times, and I've been trying to help her, and I just told her, I said, you know, we we would not be the same without you, and you may not believe that, but we look for you, and we love when you're around, and our lives would have a total void without you in it, but we don't want you to just think that you can come to us on Mondays and Wednesdays you have our numbers, get them. Get in touch with somebody. Know that you're loved. She made a statement, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't want to release identity. She said, there's something that happens to me when I'm here, where I just feel good. And then it hit me. Oh, God, help us. We need to get away from here a little more often than we do. So that it's not just here It's at home, it's at school, it's wherever you are. There's somebody there with you. Be friendly today. You never know the power it's going to have in somebody's life. Amen?